Hello and welcome to another episode of the Christians with Questions podcast, where each week we take a question and wrestle with it a bit, open up God's Word, and see what it says in regards to the question. And so this week, we have a question about hell, and Zach writes, is hell an ultimatum or a choice? And so today, for just a little while, we will dive into that topic and we will discuss um, the doctrine of hell. Now, hell is a topic um, that many people don't like. It should be a topic that no one likes. I'm going to echo C.S. Lewis here when he said, if there was a doctrine I could erase from Christianity, it would be the doctrine of hell. And that is to say, nobody should like hell, celebrate hell, desire that anybody be in hell. Um, but also, we have to keep in mind that our preferences um, don't really matter. What matters is what does Scripture say? What does it teach? And so that's what we need to look at. Now, there are different views on hell, and I think it's important to know that within Christianity, there are various views on hell. I'm going to be looking at a more orthodox, uh, traditional position on hell um, but there are some people that don't believe in hell at all, which are you know, outside of the realms of Christianity. There are some within Christianity that believe God will completely annihilate all who don't know him. It's a view known as annihilationism. And some people believe that sinners will pay their, their penance in hell, um, and then after that, God will completely wipe them out, and they will enter into a state of non-existence. Uh, some people believe that Sinners won't go to hell at all and will be annihilated. Others believe that hell is simply a holding unit for people until they decide to turn to God. Back in 2011, a guy by the name of Rob Bell wrote a book called Love Wins. And the, the premise of the book was that God's love is so great that eventually he will melt every heart and every person will turn to God and spend eternity with God. And really, Rob Bell's view was based on an a ancient theologian uh, by the name of Origen who lived about 184 to 253. And Origen believed that everybody would ultimately end up uh, going to heaven. Even Satan himself, he believed, would be redeemed. Some people believe that God's love will not allow a person to go to hell. And so today, let's take some time. And let's find out what does God's Word say about hell. And let's apply our minds in providing an answer um, in regards to this question. Now, before we begin, let me make this statement. A lot of times when we talk about hell, people will say, you know, does, does God send good people to hell? And Christianity teaches that there are no quote-unquote good people. Now, that's not to say that people don't do good things sometimes, but Christianity's teaching is that our, at our core, we are sinful people that are bent toward doing evil. And it's really not that hard to, to agree with that when you look at the world and the state of the world and all the things that have gone down. When you look at your own heart sometimes and the things that you've thought and the things that you've done, I'm sure you're like me, who at some point or maybe multiple times across the course of your life, you've had a thought or done something and said to yourself, well, why would I do that? What is wrong with me that I would think that or that I would do that? And so there are no good people. Um, we're all bad people. And so do bad people go to hell? Well, yeah, um, they do. Um, because we are sinful and that sin separates us from God. And we're going to get into this more. But I think the better question to ask is how could anyone go to heaven? Um, and, and basically, being that we are all sinners and separated from God, we should all go to hell. 
And so the fact that anyone goes to heaven is simply due to the grace and mercy of God. But let's jump into this question. Um, thought number one that I want us to consider is what are the permanent consequences of refusing God? That is to say, does God give everyone a choice as to what they will do with his invitation to come to know him? And I believe he does. I believe we can reject Christ. And so what would the consequences be of refusing God's offer of salvation? Well, Jesus emphatically answers this question for us in the New Testament. John 8, 24 says, Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins, for if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. To die in our sins is to be separated from God for all eternity. Matthew twenty two thirty three. Jesus questions the Jewish religious leaders who reject him, and he says, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? So according to Jesus, if we refuse to accept him, we will die spiritually. The Bible refers to spiritual death as the second death in Revelation twenty fourteen, and this results in eternal separation from God. Hell is the place of quarantine for those who reject God. And all who reject God will ultimately be cast out of his presence and live forever in a conscious state of eternal separation from God. Matthew 25, 41 says, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So it seems that Scripture emphatically shows that those who are outside of Christ, that is to say those who don't know Christ, that don't have a relationship with him, that haven't repented of their sins, will not reside with him in eternity that there is a place which we call hell, where people who have chosen to reject Christ will remain. And again, I get this is not a fun idea. This is not a fun thing. It may not be popular. Many people try to work around it to try to make Christianity more palatable. But Scripture says, Jesus says, if you choose to reject Christ, then you will spend eternity apart from Christ in hell. Now, some will ask, how can God send people to hell? You know, that doesn't sound very loving. That doesn't sound very John 3.16-y, for God so loved the world. Sending people to hell isn't, isn't loving. So what do we do with that? How do we handle that? So our, our, our second sort of question here is, does it seem fair that just because a person sins in this lifetime, that he should spend an eternity in hell? That is to say, does the punishment fit the crime? Is it fair that one should be eternally punished for about 70 years of sinning, and for some people it's 70 years of heavy sinning, on earth? Shouldn't it be 70 years of punishment for 70 years of sin? After all, you know, you don't punish your kids eternally for one you know, wild night out, or if you have teenagers, or I don't punish my kids eternally because they disobeyed. You didn't clean your room. Okay, well, you get an eternity in time out. That doesn't seem fair. So in order to appreciate Jesus' answer on the doctrine of hell, we must consider God's divine nature and our own human nature as well. If God is fair, loving, and just, then hell must also be fair, loving, and just. So how can hell be fair? Well, number one, hell is fair because throughout our entire lives, we have the choice to not go there. You know, people want to point the blame at God sometimes, um, but I think we also have to look at this. What about our choice as well? God has given us enough evidence to come to know him. Um, what theologians would call general revelation or natural revelation, that is to say you can look at the world around you. You can look at the order of the cosmos. You can see the 
you know, the intricate details of a cell. Um, you can see how everything works together and functions together. God has revealed himself to us in nature. The book of Romans says, because of that, we're without excuse. But God has gone beyond that and revealed himself in his written word, uh, what we call the Bible. Thousands of books have been written uh, that we might know God. Church services are open every Sunday. And everyone has an opportunity in this lifetime to come to know God. Uh, but some people freely choose to live without God forever. They choose to reject Him. And again, Romans one twenty tells us that we're without excuse. No one is going to stand before God and say, well, geez, you know what? I just didn't have a fair shake and a fair opportunity. Um, just looking around us communicates to us that there's a God. Two, hell is fair because God's love demands that hell be a reality. In other words, God respects the choice people make to reject him. God will not force us to love him or to choose him because forced love is no love at all. God's love is always persuasive and never coercive. Uh, if God coerced people into a relationship with him, that would be unfair and unloving. It would be an act of evil. You know, when I um, proposed to my wife, I did it on a bended knee um, with a, you know, a rock in my hand uh, to put on her finger. Now, it would have been a much different proposal had that been with a gun to her head instead. Yeah, she may have said, yes, I'll marry you, um, but it wouldn't be a, a, an act of love where she's committing herself to me. And so God doesn't coerce us or force himself on us. And we know God is incapable of acting in an evil manner. It's just not part of his nature. So God's love mandates that people be free to reject him. But oh, how this grieves his heart. And in Matthew 23, 37, Jesus is speaking of Israel here. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stone those who were sent to her. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Jesus wants a relationship with all, but we must be willing. Third reason hell is, is fair is, or it's just, because it punishes evil. Now, since God is just, he must judge everyone who has broken his moral law. And incidentally, and this will be a podcast for another week, but if there is no God, we have no foundation for morality and, and moral, moral law. So since everyone has broken his moral law, you know, the Stalins and the Hitlers of the world and everyone else, we must be brought to justice. And God will see all justice carried out. Sin cannot go unpunished. And, and do we really want it to? So many evil, bad, negative things happen in this life as a result of man's choice to do those evil things. But we can know that one day wrongs will be righted. God will carry out justice on those who do evil. Therefore, the existence of a place of punishment for unrepentant people is necessary to maintain the justice of God. And sometimes people will ask, well, you know, why does God let these things happen, these bad things? Well, ultimately, a reckoning day is coming. People are going to pay for that, but people want to talk out of both sides of their mouth. Well, why does God let bad things happen? Oh, well, why would God send people to hell? Well, which one is it? Do you want God to be just or, or not? And hell upholds the justice of God. And so continuing on, why do quote-unquote decent people go to hell? You know, many people feel like hell is an appropriate place for the Hitlers of the world or the Stalins of the world. 
Um, but what about people who lead a decent life? Surely God won't send good people to hell. And going back to what I said at the beginning, we, we first have to understand, first and foremost, that what we call good and decent and what is good and decent in God's eyes are light years apart. Now, I don't know for you what the stinkiest place you have ever visited is, but I'm going to share one of mine with you. One time, me and my family were driving home from South Dakota, and we passed these stockyards, and it was acres and acres and acres of cows crammed, you know, nose to rump for acres and acres and acres, and the stench off of those stockyards was unbelievable. Now, where I live, I live close to a city called Evadale, and when I drive through there, it stinks to high heaven, but if you live in that city, there's a paper, paper mirror there, if you're wondering, and they make paper, but if you live there, you adjust to it, and you rarely smell it. If you live near the stockyards, um, you adjust to it, right? And that's how it is with us. We live in our own stink. We live in our own sin. It's everywhere, but because we live in it, we really don't notice how big the problem is. And so what we might call good pales in comparison with the true meaning of goodness. Um, Isaiah 64, 6, going back to the Old Testament, says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And so it's saying our best are like filthy rags. And if you want to know a little detail on what does he mean by filthy rags, we're not talking about, you know, um, the rag that you, you dusted the kitchen table with. This would be used uh, feminine sanitary cloths, which is a very vulgar and repulsive idea that that is our best. Romans 3.10 says there is none righteous, no, not one. Mark 10.18 says no one is good except for God alone. And so sometimes Christians attempt to classify sins, categorize sins. This one's bad. This one's not so bad. Now, certainly it's true that varying sins have varying consequences. And we will be judged according to the sins that we commit. When God judges sin, he judges it rightly, and sins will be met with the correct level of punishment. But everyone sins because we are fallen creatures. But the worst sin we can commit is rejecting Christ. And, and here's the thing. It only takes one sin to separate us from a perfect, good, holy God. Two, I want us to think about this. The moral law, the law that is written on everyone's hearts, um, the Bible says, what we know innately of right and wrong is based upon the nature of God. And I'm going to read from you a couple of verses from Romans 2. This is Romans 2, 14 through 15. It says, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Psalms 51.4, it says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You see, all sin is a devaluing of who God is. Whether it's a sin against ourselves, whether it's a sin against someone else, all wrong that we do is a sin against God because God created everything perfect. He created everything good. He created everything to function in a certain way for our benefit. It's not like God's laws are some arbitrary laws that he just made up. They're there for our benefit. 
And so when we break those laws, we hurt ourselves, do damage to the good things that God has created, and we devalue God in the process. Now, we also have to remember that our sins have eternal consequence, even though we commit them in time here on earth. Now, God is outside of time. Now, when he created, he also entered into time. Um, We exist in time, but from God's perspective, he has been aware of our sins throughout eternity. Therefore, the consequences of the punishment of sin must also have eternal consequences. So sin has eternal consequences. What we do now echoes throughout eternity. We have sinned against an infinite God, and that requires ongoing um, payment for that sin. Even on earth, one sin ripples throughout the rest of our lives. So a sin that is done in the course of a second can have an effect on somebody's life for decades, even their whole lifetime. One sin can cause us a lifetime of trouble. And our sin here also extends into eternity. But some people think you know time has a way of fixing things. and Not so. Time does nothing to right a wrong. Sometimes we hear people discuss things they've done in their past and they feel because they did these things when they were young or because they were naive that this gives them a free pass. The mere passage of time cannot free us or give us an excuse from the sins, the wrong deeds that we do. The only thing that can free us from our sins, Scripture says, is the blood of Jesus Christ, his atonement for sin on a wooden cross, and our repentant heart. Because from God's perspective, he is able to continually see every wrong we have ever done, every sin we have ever committed. Time may pass. We may forget sins from the past. We may live in denial. We might even distract ourselves, but God sees our sin before him through eternity. And so eternal punishment is mandated for our sin. The very fact that sin has eternal consequences also means we need to have an eternal covering for our sins. Since from God's perspective, our sin has always existed, there needs to be an atonement or payment that existed into eternity or that extends into eternity. So what do we know about Jesus? Jesus was human, uh, full human nature, but he was also fully divine. Jesus was flesh, but he was also God. And since Jesus was both God and man, his sacrifice on the cross exists in the eternal realm And it protects us from the consequences of our sins before God. And so Jesus' death covers our sins past, present, and future. Now, here's a passage I've always been fascinated with, Revelation 13.8. It refers to Jesus as the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. So from God's perspective, evil and injustice has been dealt with all the way from eternity past. But for us who are bound by time, we have to wait in anticipation for the end when God will make all things right. And so I think it's also important to note too, you know, when we talk about is eternal hell just for, you know, a a finite amount of sins, I think it's also something to think about. Maybe our sins will continue into hell. That is to say, those who willfully reject God because they want nothing to do with God will not have a repentant heart, and they will eternally clench their fist at God. In Dante's Divine Comedy, um, Lucifer, Satan, is presented as capsulated in ice and the, the lowest ring in hell, and he continually flaps his wings 
to try to ascend to the heavens because that was Lucifer's greatest sin was pride. So as he as he continues to flap his rings, his wings to ascend into heaven, he continues to freeze the ice. And so his rebellious spirit against God um, is what prolongs and extends his his suffering in hell. And so I think that's also um, something that we should think about is I think it's highly possible that those in hell will have no desire to repent and spend an eternity in hell paying for their, their sins and their rebellious nature towards God. So every evil that exists will be forever cast into hell and those who find themselves there will have willingly chosen to be there now, I want to borrow an example from a man that I dearly love by the name of Norman Geisler, who passed away um, not long ago, but he was an incredible man, wrote many books, and he gives this illustration. He says, suppose NASA designed a special vehicle that allowed people to travel to the sun. The sun's surface temperature is 6,000 degrees, and that's just the surface. And these vehicles have to be able to withstand that high heat and be completely flame retardant. Now, for a hefty price, people can pay to be taken to the sun, and you can sit in this specially designed vehicle in the air condition, watch the solar flares, and the sun surface up close. Well, one man decides to charter a trip to the sun, and he pays the hefty price tag, but he refuses to get inside the vehicle designed to travel close to the sun, and he cannot be persuaded to hop into the vehicle. He is informed about the high heats, and the only thing that will keep him safe is being covered inside the vehicle. But for some stubborn reason, he refuses to get in the vehicle. NASA can't convince him otherwise. He won't get in the protective vehicle, but he still insists on going. So he's banned from going. NASA knows that his nature and the nature of the sun cannot coexist in such close proximity. Therefore, since NASA is responsible for him, since they value his life and they respect his choice not to get in the vehicle, they can't permit him to go. So for us as people, to be able to reside and coexist with God, we need to be protected from his wrath. Wrath is the characteristic of God's righteous anger toward our willful violations of his laws. Just as the nature of the sun cannot be changed to accommodate us to coexist near it, so too is the nature of God. God's nature cannot change. And since God cannot alter his nature, and he desires to have an intimate relationship with us, his solution to our sin nature is Jesus Christ. The protective covering for our sins was achieved through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so Jesus' blood acts as an eternal shield to protect the believer from the wrath of a holy and magnificent God. Now, God's holy and good attributes shine down around all of us. We can see clearly who God is, if we're willing to look, because he has made himself known to us. But have you ever noticed that the sun hardens clay, but it softens wax? And so it is with people. Some will melt and soften under the truths and attributes of God, while others will only become hardened to Him. The ones who become hard to God um, are the ones who have rejected God's gracious offer of an eternal covering of their sins. 
For the people who reject this covering of their sins that Jesus offers, there is no way God can allow that person to relationally coexist with him. God cannot force his love on people, and he respects their choice to reject him. When God's love is rejected, this results in a person being in a state of eternal debt toward God. They must pay their own penalty for the sins they committed because they rejected Jesus' payment. So they refused to be pardoned. And since they wanted no part of the covering of Christ, they will remain in a state of eternal separation from Christ. There can be no other way. God is both a just judge and a loving father, and he must deal with unrepentant rebellion. So maybe you're asking this question, well, why does anybody want to go to hell? It seems absurd when you ask that question, doesn't it? But to be in hell is to have chosen it. To be in hell is because you have chosen to be there. You have chosen to reject the call of God. And the fact of the matter is that some people want nothing to do with God. Some want nothing to do with what is right. Some would rather hold on to their pride to admit that they're wrong uh, is just too much for them. The old Frank Sinatra song, I Did It My Way, that is the theme song of hell. Some would rather just hold on to their pride and refuse to bend the knee, although one day they will bend the knee. No one will enter hell without having chosen to be there. And for people who want nothing to do with God, for God to force them to remain with him in heaven would be hell for those people. And God is not going to do that. For people who choose to do wrong, for people who choose to do evil, for people who love darkness rather than light, for people who find happiness in doing what is, what is wrong, for people who choose to live this way and that don't want to change, can we expect God to confirm and condone their actions? No way. God will not condone evil by turning a blind eye to people's sins. If a person will not admit to being guilty, um, then he can't accept forgiveness. So ultimately, hell boils down to one thing, a choice. Now again, I want to quote C.S. Lewis on this point. Here's how Lewis puts it. He says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside, and in the long run, the answer to all those who reject the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? To wipe out their past sins at all costs, to give them a fresh start, smoothing out every difficulty and offering every miraculous help? But he's done so on Calvary. To forgive them, they won't be forgiven. To leave them alone, alas, I'm afraid that is what he does. So if someone asks, how could a loving God send a person to hell? I would simply respond, he doesn't. They choose to be there themselves. They would rather spend an eternity filled with misery in hell than an eternity filled with meaning by glorifying God forever. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Let me say that again. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Timothy 2.4 reminds us that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. 
God provided a means so that no person would have to spend eternity apart from him in a place called hell. He gave us a covering to be able to coexist with the nature of God through his son, Jesus Christ. John 3.16, that famous verse that everybody knows, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. People have no reason to assert that God sends people to hell. Now again, he would have been just in sending everyone or in everyone going to hell because we are all separated from him. So that would have been perfectly just. But God has made a way that every person can avoid hell. But people choose to be there for themselves, and it grieves the heart of God. But he was willing to respect their choice. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus again, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Maybe the modern version of this would be, Oh, America, America, the one who ignores the book that I wrote for you, the one who ignores the open doors of churches every Sunday, how I've wanted to scoop you up and love you, but you were not willing. God's love is so great that he will not force us to love him. We have the choice. And so we know that there are permanent consequences to rejecting God, eternal separation, We know that hell is fair and just because he lets us choose not to go there, but he respects our choice, but also evil must be punished. And three, there are no good or decent people. Everyone falls short. None are righteous. All have sinned. And last, all who enter hell are there because they chose to be. God is unimaginably fair and just, but he's also full of grace and love. If we got what we have coming to us, it would be death and hell. But he made a way. He made a covering for us all. But only, only if we're willing to accept it. Now, I want to close out the way C.S. Lewis put it. Again, his writing ability captures this so well. Lewis says, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, Thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, to those who knock, it is opened. And so that is the short version, and there's much we could read about this topic, on the doctrine of hell. And again, it is a choice. It's a choice that we can all choose to avoid. And so, you know, my prayer is that whoever you are on the other side of this podcast, that you choose to be there with me when Christ returns, giving glory to God in all eternity. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. And as always, if you've got a question you want featured on the podcast, email us at christianswithquestionspodcast at gmail.com. Christians with questions podcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Give us a like and submit your question there. We continually have questions rolling in week to week. And so it'll take us a little while to get through them all, but I can guarantee you this we will get to them. And so I do appreciate you joining me on this journey. And I hope you keep asking questions because those who see, fine. See you next time. I'll say it clear. 
I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived A life that's full I traveled each And every highway And more Much more than this I did it my life.